Well, today we're going to be jumping in at this time to our Easter sermon. Easter is this special day out of all the days of the year where we can really celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. For those of you who've been coming to this campus for some time, maybe you've heard me say that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And I believe that from the bottom of my heart, that that any day can be the day of salvation for you. That any day can be the day where the life of Jesus that he won for us through his death and resurrection can be given to you. But today, especially on Easter Sunday, is the day when Christians from all over the world will sing songs and preach messages with this good news of Jesus. The word gospel, many of you might know this, the word gospel means good news. And this is actually something that sets Christianity apart from different belief systems. That the word gospel does not mean good teaching, it doesn't mean good laws, it doesn't mean good morals or good standards. The word gospel means good news. That Christianity is this message that it's not so much about what you have to do, but it's news about what God has done for you in Jesus the Messiah. It's this amazing announcement. You see, news is not something that you do. News is something that you hear, and if it's true, that you believe. I'd like to propose to you this morning that Christianity is news which changes everything. I'd like to propose to you this morning that Christianity is not only news that is true, but it can be news that changes the course of your life forever. It can be news that changes everything for you. And this is what sets the gospel apart from different belief systems. That Jesus did not just come as a great moral teacher, as amazing of a teacher as Jesus was, and he was the best. But more than just being a great teacher, he came to do something on your behalf. You see, teachers tell you what you need to do, right? But a savior does something for you that you could not do for yourself. And that's what sets Christianity apart. You see, if good teaching could have saved the world, it would have done so a long time ago. If good teaching and good rules and good morals could have saved the world, it already would have happened. The problem, if you and I are honest this morning is not that we don't know what to do. It's that we know what we should do, but that we don't do it. And this is why Jesus is so beautiful. Because he doesn't come as a teacher telling us what to do. Most of us, if we're honest, know what we should do. We don't even live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards for our lives. And yet Jesus comes, not giving us more rules, not giving us more standards, but he comes 
not with the message of what we have to do, but he comes with news of what he is doing for us, for you, for me, and for the whole world. Romans 8 picks up on this idea. Here's what it says in Romans 8.3. It says, For what the law could not do, weakened by the flesh, God did. And here's why I love that verse that, that you see on the screen there. Here's why this verse is so powerful. The law was not a bad thing by any means. There's nothing wrong with good rules or good laws or good standards. But the law, it says, was weakened by the flesh. What does that mean? It means that God's laws, God's commandments were great and perfect and good. The problem is you and I, as human beings, our flesh is weak. That we knew the right thing to do, but we were unable to do it. Now, here's what I love about this verse. If you could put that verse back on the screen for me. It says, for what the law could not do, God did. There, right there, is the beauty of the gospel. That what all of the rules and laws and standards could not do, what you and I could not do for ourselves, God did for us in Jesus the Messiah. The things that you and I were unable to do, what law was unable to do, what religion was unable to do, the good news is that Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. The gospel is this great news that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the powers of darkness have been overthrown We have been rescued from sin, and now Jesus has been installed as Lord and King over all things in heaven and on earth. Now that's a lot to unpack, and we will unpack some of that here in this message today. But in short, if you want to hear the gospel in just a few words, here it is. The gospel is that Jesus is Lord. This is one of the earliest creeds or confessions in the early church. Here's what Romans 10.9 says. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the good news about Easter. It's that Jesus, number one, is alive, and number two, that he is the Lord. Now, what does the word Lord mean? The word Lord means master or ruler or king. That Jesus has come to be this ruler, this master, this king, and when he came, you and I were living under a different master, a different Lord, a different king. And the good news of the gospel is that there's a new king in charge now. There's a new king who's running the show now. And this is a forgiving king. This is a rescuing king. This is a king who comes to break uh, the chains that were holding you and I captive in sin. What is this sin that we talk about? 
Romans 6.14 tells us what sin is. It says, Paul says, for sin will no longer have dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now I want to focus in on the first line there. He says, when grace comes, he says, sin will no longer have dominion over you. Now, I think it's interesting here that the Apostle Paul, he doesn't just say, you guys committed sins, plural. He doesn't say, you and I made some mistakes, we made some bad choices, and now grace is about God letting us off the hook. No, he says, sin, singular, is a dominion that you and I were under. He doesn't just say we made some mistakes, we committed some sins. He said, you were actually under sin's dominion. Now, I think that's interesting. Because what it tells us is the gospel is about so much more than just you and I made some mistakes, but God's going to let us off the hook, and he's going to let a few things slide. No, for Jesus to rescue us from sin... He's got to come and break a power that is holding us under its dominion. Now, where does sin come from? What is sin if you had to boil it down? Maybe you're saying, Pastor, I don't know religious language or religious terminology. Just tell me what sin is. All sin, at the end of the day, boils down to one thing. And it's a failure to worship God rightly. So in Christian terminology, anything that you and I exalt above God, we call an idol. That's anything in your life, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, that you and I place above the one true God. Now, as modern people living in a modern country in 2020, there's very few people in a modern secular society today who would believe in idols, who would say that they worship idols like people in the ancient world did. So in the ancient world, there was a god or goddess for everything. There was a god you would pray to, to make your crops grow so that you would be financially prosperous. There was a a goddess of love and sex. There was a god of war. There was a god of family. There was a, a god or goddess for any and every area of your life. And so when you wanted to pursue meaning and value, you would pray to this or that god so that they would bless your endeavors. Now, in modern societies, most of us would think we've gotten rid of those idols. We don't worship those things anymore. But here's the thing. Even though there's very few people in our culture today who would believe in a literal God of money, there's still millions of people who are serving money with all of their heart. Even though very few people would worship the God of sex or relationships, many people pursue that with all of their heart. Even though people don't believe in a God of success and fame, many Americans are still committing their whole life 
to pursuing that thing. So what am I saying with that? Here's what I'm saying. Even though modern people might think differently and believe differently about the world, the human heart hasn't really changed at all. The human heart is still seeking the same things. The human heart is still pursuing the same things. And so people, more or less, over the years, haven't really changed. And so when I talk about an idol in your life, it's not about a statue that you literally bow down to. An idol is about the posture of your heart. And so sin, it could be a sort of a classic definition of sin, lying, cheating, stealing. Or it could be even a good thing in your life that you and I have placed above the one true God. And the Bible says that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. The Bible talks about how all of us have gone after our own desires. We've all gone after the things that we want to pursue instead of the one true God. But here's the thing about idols. Here's the thing about pursuing other things instead of the one true God. It's that those idols always offer promises that are empty. It's that no matter how far you go, no matter how much pleasure you achieve or how much money you have in the bank, or no matter how many relationships you have, at the end of the day, sin will always leave you empty on the inside. Sin will always leave you wanting more on the inside so that you always need another fix, another high, another relationship, another milestone to achieve. That even when you achieve a certain milestone, you want to get another one because it's not enough. You see, if sin tells us anything, it's that it feels good for a moment, but eventually you'll be left empty and hungry on the inside. And the Bible talks about how all of us, our hearts turned away, that our hearts turned to stone, that we we went after other things instead of the one true God. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that when Jesus shows up on the scene, he doesn't come and simply beat us over the head and strike us with lightning and cast us out of his presence like we all deserve. No, Jesus shows up on the scene and he's partying with sinners. He comes announcing this message, not of law, but of grace. And it's a message of grace that's for the whole world, that it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how far you've gone, God's grace will never run out. That as it turns out, God loves to forgive more than you and I love to sin. That there will never come a point where we out-sin the grace of God. Here's what it says in Mark 2. Jesus was going around hanging out with all sorts of uh, people of bad reputation and people who weren't respectable And the religious leader said in Mark 2, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, 
but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That Jesus did not show up on the scene looking for all the perfect people who never sinned. He didn't show up on the scene looking for those who had their act together. No, he, he met us right in that place of brokenness, right in that place of sin. When you were in your sin and I was in my sin, he came to us and he met us there with his grace. He came and he met us there with his love. The Old Testament prophets, they spoke about how one day a king would come and he would turn our hearts of stone into a heart of flesh again. That when you and I had went after other things that were not the one true God, that our hearts had become hard, our hearts had become calloused against the Lord. And the prophets speak about this day when God would come and he would take our hearts of stone and bring them to life again. In the words of the great theologian Olaf the Snowman from Frozen, only an act of true love can thaw a stone-cold heart. And so when Jesus, he shows up on the scene in the midst of our hard hearts, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of us running after idols, in the midst of us running after our own pleasures, Jesus shows up on the scene as the king who gave up his power. He came as the king who gave up his rights. He came as the king who gave up his reputation. And he came as the king who even gave up his own life. He came as the king who gave it all away. And it's that act of love which melted our heart of stone. It's that act of radical grace and forgiveness which woke us up and made us come alive again. It's when we were still sinners that Jesus came to die for us. And so Jesus comes with this radical upside-down message where he says children and servants and the poor are the ones who are truly great and where the king himself comes to be the servant of all. That's what it says in Mark 10.45. Jesus says this about himself. He says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the end result of sin is death. And the reason sin leads to death is because God is the source of life as the creator. He's the one who made everything in heaven and earth. And so when you and I exalt something else above the Lord, something else instead of God, what we do is we cut ourselves off from the source of life, and the end result is death. And Jesus, he, he shows up on the scene, and he comes to not boast about his rights and his privileges, but to lay aside everything, even his own life. And he comes as this servant who gives himself as the ransom for many. He comes and he, he empties himself 
so that you and I can be filled. On the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. Why? Jesus is thirsting so that you and I would never have to thirst again. He comes and his body is broken so that you and I can be whole again. He comes and dies so that you and I can live. Jesus comes with this radical message of good news. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 2. He said, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal debt, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Here's here's what this says here. Notice what he says. He says that that legal charge which stood against us was nailed to the cross. He says that the, the powers and authorities... The spiritual forces of darkness, the forces of sin, were being disarmed on the cross. It says that he made a public spectacle of them. Now this is crazy, because for anybody who was watching the crucifixion take place, it didn't look like that at all. But you see here, Jesus turns everything upside down. That he says, When he was being nailed to the cross, it was actually your sin and my sin that was being nailed to the cross. That it's as his body was broken that the power of sin was being broken. And it's as he was being defeated that the power of sin was being defeated. And so he comes and he is victorious and he triumphs over them by his cross. Now, how does this good news of the cross apply to you and to me 2,000 years later? What does it mean that 2,000 years ago, a man died on the cross for our sins? Here's how the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, becomes true for your life. Jesus told his disciples in Mark 8, It says, Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these first hearers of this message. That he says that you have to take up your cross. Now, when you and I think of the cross, we think of it as this religious symbol. We think of it as this symbol of Christianity. But before the cross represented a religious thing, The cross had a different meaning. What the cross represented was defeat. So if your 
army went against a different army in battle and your army lost, guess where you would end up? On the cross. If you had a certain political agenda or a religious agenda that went against the agenda of people in power, guess where you ended up? On the cross. And so the cross in the ancient world came to symbolize weakness, brokenness. It was the symbol of all the losers. It was the symbol of those who were defeated. And Jesus, he shows up on the scene and he says, hey, I have a cross with your name on it. Now, that's offensive to us. Nobody wants to hear somebody come up on the scene and say, hey, I've got a cross for you. No, the cross is for the people who lost. The cross is for the people who were defeated. The cross is for the people who don't have it all together. And Jesus, he tells his disciples, he says, if you're trying to hold on to your life, if you're trying to find it, if you're trying to hold on to it, you will lose it. But if you admit that your life is lost, then you will truly find it. If you admit that you don't have it all together, if you admit that you don't have this thing called life figured out, if you're honest enough with yourself and with God to admit that you and I have not been the people that God has called us to be, we have not lived up to the standard that Jesus has called us to. It's when you and I admit defeat that Jesus comes and he gives us his victory. It's when we admit that this thing is lost. And this is why the message of Easter is offensive. Because Jesus is not a nice, cute little add-on that you can tuck in your pocket and pull him out when you need him. Jesus is not just a nice little self-help message to help you find your life. Jesus did not come to this earth and go through everything that he went through so that you could find your true self, so that you could live your best life. No, he, he came to do all those things so that you could take up your cross, leave that old life in the grave, and he could raise it up again. And that he could give you new life. Jesus actually tells a story of two men who went into the temple. And in this story, there was uh, a well-respected religious man. This was a man who always dressed nicely. He was a man who was well-respected. He always fasted many times every week. He always made sure that his tithe was paid. He always tried to follow all the rules perfectly. Now, the other man who came to the temple that day was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors in that time, this isn't like the accountant that you have at home that helps you file your taxes. And that day, a tax collector, they had this reputation for being greedy because what they would do was they would collect more than what was owed and they would keep it for themselves. And so you have this religious guy in the temple and then you have this wicked thief in the temple as well. 
And Jesus says, the first man, the religious leader, he came and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like that sinner over there. I thank you that I do everything right. And he began to give God his whole list of all the things that he was good at. And then it says, over on the other side, there was this wicked guy, this tax collector, and it says he, he couldn't even lift his eyes. He couldn't even look up to God. And he stood there and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now Jesus, he asks his audience a question. He says, which of these two do you think went home right with God? Which one do you think when he went home had peace with God, who was righteous in God's eyes? And maybe to your surprise, it was actually the wicked man who Jesus said went home right with God. That it wasn't the guy who came with his his list of accomplishments, his list of good deeds. It was actually the guy who didn't do anything right. It was actually the guy who had made a mess of everything. And yet he came to God with a humble spirit and he knew that he didn't measure up. He knew that he wasn't good enough. And Jesus said that it is that man that went home right with God. What does that, what does that have to do with the message of Easter? What does that have to do with this good news about Jesus? See, Jesus says that if you try and hold on to your life, if you try and insist that you have it all together, he said you will lose it. But when you take up your cross and when you put that old life to death, when you admit that you don't measure up, when you admit that you don't have this thing figured out, when you admit that you've made mistakes and that old life is dead, the good news of Easter is this. It's that we serve a God who specializes in raising the dead. We serve a God who says, if you take my cross, I'll give you my resurrection. That when you lose your life for me and for the gospel, you will find not only life in this age, but also eternal life in the age to come. That when you lose your life, I'm telling you, Jesus says, I will give you my eternal life. That if you and I can admit that we don't have this figured out, that we haven't uh, obeyed God's rules perfectly, that our life, if we're honest, is a mess, our life, if we're honest, is a loss, Jesus comes in and he raises that dead life up from the grave and you and I can walk in newness of life. That is the message of Easter. The message of Easter is that the story does not end on the cross. Yes, on the cross, Jesus took your sin, my sin, and the sin of the whole world, and he crucified it to the cross with himself, and he died and it was buried. That means that your old life is dead and gone, and he put the nail in the coffin. But three days later, it says, he rose up again, victorious in new life. And he didn't just rise for himself. He rose for me, for you, and for the whole world. 
That's the good news of Easter. It's that we serve this Messiah who rose victorious. And the Bible says that when he rose, he took you and me with him. That he rose again and so now our life is found in him. And I want to tell you today, I want to encourage you today with this. That if you let Jesus' death become your death, then his life will become your life. That this message of rescue, this message of grace, this message of this God who comes to save can change everything for you. And Allison, you can come on up, and I'm going to close here in just a moment. I want to tell you, Christianity, this good news, it's not about turning over a new leaf. It's not about turning the page and starting a new chapter. It's about letting that old life be dead and gone forever and allowing Jesus to give you eternal life in his name. I promise you today, Jesus is the bread that if you eat, you'll never be hungry again. He's the cup that if you drink from, you'll never be thirsty again. I'm telling you, you can chase all this world has to offer. And it will always leave you empty inside. You can chase all the things of this world and it will never satisfy. The idols of this world only offer empty promises. And you will find yourself enslaved to sin, under the dominion of sin. And the good news of the gospel is not that you have to do anything to get out of it. If you and I could have cleaned up our lives, we would have done so a long time ago. If you and I could have cleaned up our mess, we would have done it already. But Jesus does not come as a teacher. He comes as a savior. He comes not to tell us what to do, but to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he comes to win the victory that you and I needed. He comes to break the power of sin. And he comes to walk victorious and to share his victory with you and with me and with the whole world. This is the message of Easter. Easter is not about when all the good church people who never sinned celebrate how awesome they are. Easter is a celebration of the fact that when I was dead in my sins, God made me alive in Christ. Maybe you feel like you're too far from God. Maybe you feel like you've made too many mistakes. Maybe you feel like you've done things that God would never forgive. But you see, this whole thing is not about you and I measuring up. That's why he came. And he said, listen, you don't need to try and clean that life up. Just leave it behind and let me give you a totally brand new one. 
What that means is this. It means that there's no sin that he won't forgive. It means there's no distance you could have run that is too far from his love. That's why Jesus came saying, I came as a doctor for the sick. I came not to call those who think they have it all together. I came for the sinners. I came for the broken. I came for the hurting. Here's what Timothy Keller says about the gospel. He says, the Christian gospel is that I was so flawed, Jesus had to die for me. But I was so loved that Jesus was glad to die for me. That's the good news of the gospel. Not that you and I were really great all by ourselves. No, listen, people who are really great don't need a savior. But for those who are honest enough to admit that they haven't done this thing right, that they haven't measured up, Jesus comes and he says, hey, let me give you my life. The reason that all over the world today, Christians are celebrating Easter. The reason that is happening all over the world right now is not because a bunch of people found a way to clean themselves up. We're not even just celebrating something someone did 2,000 years ago. We're not even just celebrating the fact that Jesus is alive. We're celebrating the fact that we're alive because he's alive. And what that means is this, and if you're, if you're hearing me today and if you hear nothing else, please hear this. Resurrection Sunday means that not only is Jesus alive, but that you can come to life today too. Resurrection Sunday can be your Resurrection Sunday. This can be the day, not just that Jesus came to life, but it can be the day you come to life too. It can be the day that your life raises up out of the grave. It can be the day that you rise up victorious over sin. It can be the day that you raise up to walk in newness of life. That's why we celebrate Easter. It's because we live because he does. We're alive because he is. We're victorious because he is. We're righteous because he is. We're holy because he is. The message of Easter is that what's true of Jesus becomes true of us. I want to tell you today that this Resurrection Sunday can be your Resurrection Sunday. This can be the day that you walk in newness of life. And that's why Christianity is good news.